The St. Charles County Veterans Museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. The museum would not exist without the donations of our generous community. Your donations ensure the museum continues to share and preserve the stories of our veterans. Would you like to be part of something special? To donate, visit sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate. The Dog Tech Podcast may at times cover sensitive topics including, but not limited to, suicide, abuse, violence, severe mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol addiction. You are advised to refrain from watching or listening to the Dog Tag Podcast if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, host, director, or guests shall at any time be liable for the content covered causing offense, distress, or other reaction. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. The primary purpose of the Dog Tag Podcast is to educate. The views, information, or opinions expressed on the Dog Tag Podcast are solely the views of the individuals or guests involved and by no means represent absolute facts. The Dog Tag does not accept responsibility for their views or comments. Joe Rumbolo's Medicare Made Easy works hard for our veterans. Did you know you may be eligible to enroll in a Medicare plan and keep your VA health and life benefits? We can offer a Medicare Advantage plan specifically designed for veterans and spouses who are entitled to VA health benefits. CHAMP VA or TRICARE for Life may offer benefits you might otherwise not receive. We can find a plan that best suits your needs. Call Joe at 314-753-0792. That's 314-753-0792. Welcome to the Dog Tag Podcast at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum with your host, Jason Galvin and Jim Higgins. Today in studio, we have a special guest, and we will go ahead and kick off the podcast to Jim. Well, welcome, Stacy. Uh, we're glad to have you here in the uh, show. And, and um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to interview a number of women that served and, and write some stories here, but I'm always a little bit intrigued and have to ask, you know, what motivated you as a woman to join the military? What motivated me, honestly, was um, a few different things. I wanted to, um, well, I needed to pay for college because I went for a half a semester and then um, I wasn't able to pay for it. But I had an ex-boyfriend who joined the Army and he said I couldn't, so I did. (laughs) (laughs) So, Stacy, did you have any idea that as a woman it would be harder or easier? I had no idea. Um, I I didn't know what I was, what it was going to look like, what it was going to feel like for me, um, what to expect. My my father was prior service, and um, he told me a little bit. You know, month prior, he would wake me up at five o'clock in the morning, yelling and screaming and. Like, hey, you ready for it? But um, I I had no idea other than that. What was it like with the family? Did what did they say about your choice to join, and and what was the dynamic in that situation? Yeah, my dad was proudly apprehensive. Uh, my mom cried a lot. 
she did not want me to do this, um, but it was something I had made up my mind. And I'm always the kind of person who's, when my mind is made up, that's what I'm going to do. And you're going to have to really battle me to, to change it. So when you got to boot camp, you know, did you, did you ever have that experience where you had that old shit moment where you said to yourself, what did I just get into? 100%. <laughs> uh, I, I remember we flew out um, from St. Louis. You know, we, we were at MEPS early and we, we flew out to Fort Jackson or somewhere around Fort Jackson, and we got on a bus, and, and it was like another three-hour drive, and there were drill sergeants, and, and they were already yelling, and we couldn't sleep. And I thought to myself numerous times on that bus, I should have just, like, stayed home. <laughs> but it, it worked out well. Well, you said you were on the bus, so you really weren't in at the, at the fort yet. So no. there had to have been a bigger oh shit moment at that point. Oh, yeah, I think it was like... The second day of no sleep, where I was like, just like, what is happening? <laughs> um, like, isn't this against the law? Like, I'm supposed to have at least like six hours of sleep, I thought. Um, yeah, so during intake, when, and I don't know if you guys have heard this, but you have like three days, like in processing, three days. That's where you get like your PT and you're just, you're getting fitted for everything and you're, hurry up and wait. And don't fall asleep because uh, you will be in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, you went into the military there, and you obviously made it through boot camp, and and you, you end up serving. Did you have uh, you you initially met some instructors? Were they male or female instructors? There were both. So at Fort Jackson, it was co-ed, um, and I had my drill sergeant was male, but there were four platoons. And there were, I want to say two females and two males. Um, My drill sergeant was amazing, to be quite honest. I will never forget him. (laughs) And that was the other part of the question. You know, some of them, you you very often hear that, that they make a great impression on you and you, you look back and think very highly of them afterwards, even though it was a little bit hellish at the time, I'm sure. It was, it was, um. Yeah, his name was uh, Drill Sergeant Burgess. I swear to God, he was like seven foot tall. <laughs> At least that's how he portrayed himself. Uh, but he was, he made it, he told the why behind everything at the end of the day, you know. And that's what made it worthwhile. There were other drill sergeants. Um, there was a, a male drill sergeant who was actually relieved of his duties because of his behavior. And then the, the two female drill sergeants were interesting I feel like they maybe and it was kind of a almost a glimpse into my future because they definitely had to be stricter harder scarier than anyone else why do you think that was that's a man's world yeah you know um I think it's always going to be a man's world but so they just they had a push themselves harder and, and improve themselves longer. Well, boot camp, <clears throat> what year was this you were in boot camp? About? This was in 2008, yes. So boot camp had changed a little bit with with both sexes in it. Yeah. A little bit, but, um, but that's still quite a while back where men were still men. And, uh, you know, you mentioned 
you had both instructors there. Um, I heard not too many years ago that there was a timeout you could have or something like that. And uh, was there anything like that back then? No, we didn't have a, <laughs> I think it was like a yellow card is what they were calling it. No, that was uh, after my time. There was no timeout. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you were in the front leaning rest position. And, and of course, you guys that, that uh, didn't get the, the benefit of that timeout card, you, you usually get a, I could sense a little bit like I wish I had that timeout card or, or um, that's maybe for sissies, right? I don't think it's for sissies. I do. I think it's important to train how you're going to fight. There's no timeout in combat. Um, you can't be like, stop shooting. I need a time. You can't, you know, you, so it's important to be able to regulate yourself. And I think that's what the timeout or, or the yellow card or pause or, you know, can't touch me or whatever. Um, I, th- I think it prevented that capability of being able to regulate yourself and, and take yourself out of the current situation so you could get the job done. So I disagree the, with that one. What was the preparation as far as, um, you know, what to expect before you got to where you were going? Did you Were you naive to what was going to happen? Did you, did you get a good understanding from... Uh, before you, you know, when you were at MEPS and before you went in, what it was going to be like, or just kind of speak to that, what what the shock and awe may, <laughs> might have been. Um, I don't think there really was a whole lot of preparation. Just keep your mouth shut and listen. You know, do what you're told. And uh, I, my uh, recruiter did a pretty good job of like letting me understand that everything that happens there is for a reason. But keep your mouth shut, keep your face forward, and do what you're told. And uh, that's what I did for the most part. <laughs> How many women were in your in your? What, would you call it a unit or? In my platoon. Platoon, yeah. Um, in basic, me like eight to ten, maybe. And so, what kind of percentage is that in a platoon? Yeah. So there's a man. You're making me really think here. We had about forty to fifty. I want to say. People in our platoon. Yeah. And um, so there's like eight to ten, uh, ten women. And um, I'm counting. So we were like all in like the same bay. So there was eight of us okay. in the platoon. Yeah. And uh, it, wasn't in a sm- it wasn't too small, but it wasn't really big either. And was everything uh, as far as the the learning and the doing, was that all a co-ed at that point within the platoon? Yeah, the only thing that wasn't co-ed was when you would use the restroom and when you would sleep. Um, There was, we had, the buildings are a lot different now from what I've seen, but we just had a a three-story, really long, you know, brick-and-mortar building, and the females had the second, half of the second floor. (laughs) The rest was, the rest of the second floor was the males, and then the third floor was the males. So there's a lot of benefits to joining the military for men and women, but there's also some risk, you know, and I, I kind of look back at, at the World War II era, wax and, and they were segregated, but yeah. you're, you're all in the same barracks and everything there. Um, so did you go it? I mean, 
I got to look at it and say, were you a little bit naive going in there? Did you did you have any worries that there could be some harassment of any kind? I didn't have any worries. I was very naive of what it was going to be like going in. Um, but there were definitely it's the drill sergeant that was relieved of his duties was because of harassment to the female, um, basic training soldiers. You know, we weren't even really service members yet. We weren't anything, uh, but he definitely used his power and, and scared females. Like, I think three of them dropped because of that. And then the other side of that, of course, is, um, the men are not used to, uh, you know, that's, it's a different world for them. There's women close by. Um, so you've got the old school drill sergeant probably, and then you got men that are just not used to that too. So you've got it coming from two different directions. Yeah. You definitely have, um, you know, old army when I was there, you could feel it. And, but you got to remember too, that a lot of, the eight, I mean, I would say the, the general age range of my basic training group was, you know, 18 to 23. And so we were all young, dumb, and stuck with each other. And so that, you know, we were really not even done growing. So there's lots of wrong choices that are made by, by both sides at that time. Um, just trying to learn and figure out how to be in that environment because it's just so different. Our our friend and one of the host guests we had on the podcast, Angela, she always felt like she could kick any man's ass, you know, I mean, <laughs> if they gave her any trouble. So it's, uh, but, um, you I know. I did not feel that way. <laughs> I was about 96 pounds when I went in. They really? Just, really? Yeah. So I, a funny story really quick, sorry. They, uh, I tried to get into the Army twice. So the first time, they still had a minimum weight requirement, and I could not get in. You had to be 100 pounds. I mean, think of what, what you're carrying. But then they took that away. So I got a call, and they're like, hey, you want to you wanna go back? I'm like, yeah, actually, I do. So, yeah, I was very, very tiny, and I had never hit a person in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so the um – you know, the and back then, I'm going to say that the number of women in the military, you said in your platoon, there was eight, uh, and a platoon's what, typically 40, so that's... Yeah, like 40 to 50. Yeah, yeah. so right now, we're getting upward around 20% of the military is women, so things have to be changing a little oh, yeah. bit that way. I would hope that, you know, standards and, and treatment and everything is, is moving forward, too, with a higher percentage. Um but back then, it was a much smaller group. And you said you had three drop before you ever got out of boot camp? Yeah. They, they couldn't they – were, they were in the fourth platoon, all three of them, with the drill sergeant who – so I don't know exactly what happened. But I know that he made very harassing <laughs> remarks to me as well. And so I can only imagine what they dealt with having to be with him on a more consistent basis. So after you guys leave the bay in the morning – or whatever time it is that you're sleeping, you guys all go to your separate platoons and then come back and probably, I would guess, talk about what happened during the day and and, yeah. and that uh, just came to light that he was harassing multiple people. Yeah, so he what happened, um, well, he was gone one day and then he was gone for a long period of time. And so we asked during, uh, during platoon time, 
after a mail call, you know, what happened to drill sergeant. And, uh, he said he just, he said he wasn't doing his job and he did pull us females aside. Drill sergeant Burgess did. And was like, Hey, you know, do you have anything you need to share? And we didn't have too much interaction. So we didn't share anything. The, um, you know, anytime you got men and women together and, and I think in more in the military, there's always going to be a certain amount of un- unwelcomed harassment in large part because men are pigs, right? <laughs> some but, can be. Yeah, some can be. I mean, uh, but, you know, you have to become almost conditioned and guarded just to survive that, don't you? Yes. Um, I don't think I felt that until the latter part of my AIT. Um, and I had a really, really bomb drill, or not even drill sergeant, an AIT, just a sergeant, Sergeant Smith. She was, she was amazing. Um, sounds a lot like, uh, Angela, who you're talking about. She would kick anybody's rear end. Um, but then, you know, when you get into, I was, uh, in PSYOP and, and that's more detachment stuff, which has even less females. And um, if you don't speak up, you're going to get forgotten about or there's going to be rumors spread about you. And so you have to tread that fine line because where I was still had a whole lot of old army. That's interesting that you mentioned that spread rumors about you or about about people. Mm-hmm. Is what would what was their benefit of doing that? What would what would they think they were going to get out of of, of spreading a rumor? Because I've heard I've actually heard a lot about that before. I don't know. I I've asked myself that a lot of times. Um, you know, when I first got there, I felt like I had to really try and and fit in because these were my soldiers too. Like these were my brothers and sisters and. Um, I think there was only out of the hundred, maybe sixteen of us. I don't. I didn't even. I really only saw like eight of us, but some of them did admin stuff. Um, but you know, if you, you're if if you were trying to start a family, you know, oh, it's because you're trying not to deploy. Um, if you didn't converse with the guys. Then you were gay. You were a lesbian. You didn't want anything to do with them. But if you did converse with guys a lot, then you were a slut. You know, and so there really was no win-win. I felt like there was just so much. There was a lot of pressure. Some women um, were amazing, and, and they looked like they dealt with it really well. I didn't know how to handle it all the time. So I kind of teetered both sides. Like I, I wouldn't talk to anybody, but then I would talk to a bunch of people trying to just figure it out. Uh, Stacy, the, um, I guess I <clears throat> need to, I want to ask, uh, is the ratio of women in a platoon <clears throat> is more women better? Is, does that make a difference? Is there a bonding of sort, kind of a stick togetherness that, that occurs knowing that you're all faced with these same perils? No. I wish there was, um, not where, again, this is just my perception and, and what I went through, but we had different detachments and oddly 
Um, each detachment had only one female. So you have 16 soldiers. One of them was female in each detachment. And and everything, you, what you're saying there is kind of, it's an interesting perspective because in the military, the fighting forces, there's a required togetherness that needs to happen. And yet, I'm going to say that at one point in AIT that you're watching your back and you're nervous all the time. Yeah, I mean, in AIT, I was nervous all the time. There were so many rumors that were spread. And again, a lot of it was because young and dumb, you know, people and, and, and children. I mean, even when you're 23, you're still a child, let's face mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, and you're always, you can't fraternize, but you need to be together. You can't, you know, have a crush, but you have to carry each other. So it gets really confusing just biologically. Um, and then if you don't, you know, find a secret room and put out, then you're a prude and you're not going to do it. And then all these rumors start, or if you do, then you're a slut. And that's, an, that's just an AIT. If you get to, you know, your company, I, I did not have the greatest experience in, in being a part of a family. Um, now, I, I forced myself when I had my detachment that I, I took care of my guys. I made sure that all everything was done the way it needed to be done, and I kept track of all the paperwork, especially right before deployment. I had, you know, all of that information. But I still never felt like part of the family, more just like their secretary. The, um, which again, so you're deployed, you're, you're in a combat zone, you're in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and you have to feel like they've got your back. But you've got this in the back of your mind that, I mean, we hear that, do you think those things are put aside? Do you think that do you think that hurts you as an effective fighting unit when you've got the sexes together? I think what ends up happening is I mean I I know I put it aside a little bit. Um, I still watch from my back. And what's weird is, you know, I'm I'm on my healing journey of, of a lot of things and I realize that Yes, everyone had my back, um, unless it was within the circle. (laughs) And then I wasn't sure exactly who to trust. There were a few people that I felt like I could trust with specific things, but even then, no one knew the entire story of me. And I think that, I don't know if I did that or... I mean, I'm sure a part of it was me just being really scared. But when we were there, I didn't know who I could trust. And you can't report any of that. You probably didn't feel like you could, could you? Uh, there was an incident that was reported. Um, but it had to do with a uh, a higher command that actually wasn't deployed with us. They were from my company, but deployed um, separately, and they wanted to visit to see how things were going. And um, this individual, you know, it was my job to show them around. At this point, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable um, having 
being either on my own or or having a male as a battle buddy because that's just those are my only options. I didn't have any of a female to, I, I I slept with and ate with and it was just all guys. Um, but this individual definitely tried to use their higher ranking to start something, you know, um, definitely coerced me to go to a private spot and, and wanted to be intimate. And I said, no, I did find one of my guys and he could immediately tell what was going on. And so I told him and, and he went to one of our higher ups, um, and he left the next day. Come to find out this individual, um, did this to a lot of other females. And so he was removed from his position. I'm not sure what happened to him. But that was reported just because it was asked from me and, and someone else knew about it. If I reported anything else that had happened, well, I mean, what, what was going to happen? Because <laughs> you're, you're overseas, you're at war. Um, they're not going to pull them. It's not. It, at the time, it wasn't taken seriously. If you did, it was going to be a long, drawn-out investigation. And guess what? You are still stuck with that individual. And uh, my innocence, he was also a higher-ranking personnel. And, um, I don't know, might as well just deal with it. It's kind of sucked to have to go to work and worry about your your life, you know, and, and protecting your life, and then also have to worry about what people are going to do, ask you to do or do to you or uh, try to coerce and things of that nature. Did you ever feel like, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you, you took care of all the paperwork. You, you kind of did the uh, admin stuff, maybe some of those things that the others either couldn't do or didn't want to do. Did you ever feel like you had to compensate by doing that so that you could be part of the the group and, and get the buy-in from the, quote-unquote, the buy-in from the team or the, or the acceptance of the team? Oh, yeah. Um, I remember uh, during one training session – I, you know, I did what I could, but they had me because I was female. I was in a whole nother building across the way, and I slept there once, and then I was forgotten. I, I didn't. I showed up for training, and they were already gone. <laughs> and wow. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I guess, can I um, sleep in, in this building? Maybe in another, like on another floor? I don't know. I ended up just sleeping on the same floor because there wasn't space. So we just did what we did. And, and then the same thing happened. Um I mean, after that, it was kind of just, I was always sleeping in the same tent, uh, B-hut, building, whatever, with the guys, um, which mo- most of were, they were pretty awesome. They tried really hard. I know that I had my guard up a lot um, because of the few. But It's a lot of pressure to have on yourself to have your guard up all the time. In addition to having your guard up for the battle purposes. Yeah. I realize now that it was hell. It was literally hell on earth. Well, and harassment takes a lot of different forms. You know, it's it can be just the way they look at you. It, it could be much worse. But, um, you know, it's it's a significant problem. I think the statistics bear that out. I want to kind of ask you a little bit. You were deployed to Afghanistan, and it's the war zone there. You had a unique MOS, and that kind of – did that put you in a position that you were always going to be in a – you know, one of the few females in that role, more so than some of the other MOS? It did. It did. Um, 
just the way that it's it's laid out. I'm sure had I gone active duty, it, it would have been a little bit different. Um, from what I understand, more there's more females on the active duty side. Um, but I just it, that's that wasn't the path that I took, unfortunately. And they, of course, they say that women weren't in combat till uh, 2015. But you know, we learned from other vet- women veterans that you know, driving convoys or being that close interrogations, you're you're in a position that's dangerous. Yeah, um, I mean, I would say that I was, I was combat. Now, I I I only left the uh, the wire once. Um, as far as on on wheels, because I I couldn't talk to a lot of people when we were there. there it was still kind of sheltered. We had just finished doing a uh, like a NATO mission, and it was kind of being looked at. Still, um, I did fly in Blackhawks a lot though, in helicopters to deliver things to my guys and and transport, um, like you know the the interpreters and things like that but um as far as you know going out I I didn't get that chance to do much but a lot of them did and I I did meet a lot of women who were able to have that um the uh the nurses and the medical staff was amazing they those women did phenomenal things So you're over there, and you're in a barracks pretty much by yourself. Um, it just seems like a, a difficult situation with with pulling a unit together. Because I mean, in, in a lot of combat buddies, they talk about the pulling together as a group, and and yet, in a way, you know, because you're a female there, you can't really bond with these guys. And, that's got to just be a difficult thing to bring a, a unit together. It was definitely different. Um, you know, I most of the time when when you're deployed and you have companies, they're in like these really big long tents and everyone's in there. We had a compound and I slept on, on it was kind of divided. I slept on one side that had a spare room, which is where my um, other guys would go when they were coming in for R&R and I would fly them out. I also had um, an office there, so I I worked about 18, 20 hours a day, um, and I was always, so because I am was in charge of kind of like the paperwork, I did all the reporting, um, so on Fridays when it was kind of sacred for over there, Fridays was a holy day, um, lots of my guys would sleep in, but I had to have my report in by 10. So I was in the office <laughs> early um, and late. But some of that early and late, if I'm going to be honest, was to have my own time, um, to be away from the harassment that I was getting. So because when I was, when I was there, um, I was told when – I was going to eat when I was going to work out when I had my own time in the evenings. I still wouldn't come back to the compound until very late because I just didn't want anyone else to be awake. 
so I could just have that time to myself. So often I only got like about four hours of sleep. And some of it's my own doing, but I just it was avoidance. Would you say that the harassment was much worse when you were deployed over there? Absolutely. It didn't really even start until we were over there. I mean, some of it started. There were some prequels. Um, but I was trapped. So I think it's it started more because I felt like I had no choice but to give in to it. Mm. Um, or else... I was going to get in trouble. So it can be like, very isolating. It was, yeah, I mean, it was it was either one or the other. It, it came right out. Was uh cuz I, I was partnered with one female who also was in detachments. She was one she was the only female. Um I ended up going over to her her room and we kind of just hung out. It, her room looked like you weren't even in a war zone. She did a great job. She was very <laughs> lucky and very resourceful, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> she had a fridge and everything. Um, but we were watching a movie and I ended up falling asleep. And the next day I was accused of, um, having sex with uh, another soldier and not that they said anything. It was just a wild accusation that now I didn't come home. Now I'm a slut. Um, and I was going to get written up. I was going to get an article 15 unless. So I, you know, he just wanted to see me. Um, and it was about the fourth time that he had asked. So I find I didn't want to get in trouble because again, I, I still had like eight more months. So after that is when it was just used as this manipulation on, on his end. Wow. You know, people talk about PTSD as if it's only like the combat part of it where the boots are on the ground outside the wire, things of that nature. There's all kinds of traumas that can be debilitating, especially these internal and and uh, pressured and um, manipulative things that happened to you and and with you. And I know that that's that's hard. Can you can you kind of give us some insight onto how that affects you as far as post traumatic stress? Of course, um, the VA actually has a name for it now called um, MST, which is military sexual trauma, which is a separate diagnosis. From PTS, um, and I am so I I'm working uh, through that, and uh, but it's 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 taken a long time. You know, it's been over a decade, and uh, it's taken a toll on on my marriage, on my ability to work like I would want with others, um, and I'm constantly. Checking my every, all, my three sixty all around me. Um, if I end up being in a in a large room with where it's majority males, I am sitting in my seat and I am not moving. Mm. You know, so it's it's sorry. It's taken a lot for me to get to the point that I am now, and uh, and it's really only because of people finally acknowledging that I didn't do this to myself. I was put in this position and had I been able to be who I really am, none of it would have ever happened, but I was stuck and 
Um, I'm finally going through trauma recovery. And, and so hopefully um, I'm, I'm young enough that it'll, things can, can heal. We, we talk about PTSD quite a bit on the show. And, and what we learn is it doesn't always show up right away. Uh, sometimes it's years after deployment. This seems very, this MST seems very real to you right now. And yet it's in the rearview mirror quite a while back. Do you feel like it's, it's you, obviously you're never going to get rid of it. You're going right. to be fighting it for a lot. Of, is it, is it, is it harder now that you, you beyond it? Or was it harder when you were actually in their military? I think I was able to like disassociate myself in the military um, worked a lot. Yeah. Like who I, I worked a lot who, and who I was in uniform was not who I, I was outside of uniform. Um, unfortunately those two worlds collided when I came back for a little bit. And then I think, and, and just in my perception and, and my relationship with other veterans is, um, it's a complete de- detachment from, you know, when you deployed and, and when you come back home. So um, it just ends up catching up with you because you can't detach that part of you forever. You know, something happens, something triggers it, and the floodgates open. At least I know that's what happened to me and, and a friend of mine. The the other thing that, you know, you read some of the numbers about the number of women that had experienced it, and again, you corrected me. I, I said men are all men are pigs and, you know, <laughs> but um, – the, the reality is it's a big, big number because I don't think that a lot of people really understand, you know, what it can look like. I mean, it, obviously at one end of the spectrum is sexual assault, but it's comments, it's talking, it's the way they look at But, you know, they say 70, 80% of the women have experienced it a little bit, and they say in the military it's much, much greater. So it's uh, – it, Yeah, I would ha- be surprised – if you talk to any female veteran and they didn't have some sort of of sexual harassment happen to them. And and the other side of that, we call it, you call it MST now, which I've, I've heard that term PTSD gets pretty good awareness today. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of support group. We had focused Marines on here that really tries to help with that. But is there the support mechanisms for MST like PTSD? I don't think we're quite there yet, Um, at least from where I'm at in my journey. I haven't quite found that because it's still so taboo. Um, Well, what did you do, right? What did you do to put yourself in that position? Um, Well, did you say this? Why didn't you report it? Well, I didn't report it because then my life would be even more hellish. Like, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to send that person home? That's a lot of money. (laughs) to send someone home when you think about it logistically. So, I mean, the numbers that you have, Jim, are probably, I mean, I'm wondering if those are just ones that are are talking about it, you know. Um, I, I know of quite a few female veterans who have gone through something similar to what I went through, who've had, who didn't get promoted purely because of, their lack of involvement in extracurricular activities. <laughs> and uh, 
You know, they, they had to request to switch companies and that's not fair. <laughs> Life shouldn't be that way. It's, it just seems like, you know, it's, it's, it's totally unfair, but I imagine, so you were, you were non-commissioned. Right. And I, I would think it, it's a different story too, when you get to be an officer rank, a, a little bit different, but. Um, you know, I mean, in when you're deployed, you didn't have a network of, of women soldiers around you either no. to kind of talk about this, and that probably was a bad thing. Um, did when you came back, did did you have some people you could talk about your experience? And I mean, talking women talk veterans talking to veterans is good therapy, right? It absolutely is, and and. Did you, when you came back, were you able to confide and talk with some of the women that experienced and did that help? Um, no, I did not because a lot of, everyone knew this particular individual um, that caused me a lot of harm and they acted like they were friends with them. So I wasn't sure. I didn't, I didn't trust it. Um. I didn't know if they had gone through the same thing and if they had, you know, accepted that as far, you know, I honestly didn't tell anybody what happened um, until a few years ago, except for my husband. And it's because I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed for the longest time. It was my fault. And I think that's what happens a lot is because we're always asked, like, well, did you do anything? Did you say anything to provoke this? So, so putting the responsibility on the on the victim versus the the criminal. Absolutely, yeah, all the time, especially if they're tenured. And that's got to be real demoralizing to realize that you know you're in the you're in the middle of this situation and. You, you can't do anything, you, you feel powerless or, and, or those that have the power have the control, which is, which is very hard to deal with, especially when you're overseas and you're, and you're not in your surroundings that you're used to and, yeah. and, and no one's listening to you. Yeah. You have, you have very little support. Um, I know for me, I, I looked for support, you know, elsewhere, um, Bob's might be considered dry, but you can always get alcohol. <laughs> and uh, I ended up, you know, I, I drank um, the cheapest vodka ever. Disgusting. But just to drown, just to kind of drown out what was going on, um, I ended up be to like just be to be able to sleep without fear. And um, it just ends up being such a dangerous game. Yeah, a lot of repercussions that are unintended when you get into that masking of emotions with any substance yeah was it was it difficult i'm sure it was difficult what was the process of using different resources to work through your trauma outside of substances like while i was still over there or or at any time how did you get relinquished from from having to use that to mask what you were feeling to be able to start to process and heal well, healing journey, I should say. When I was over there, um, I was called, you know, 
a lot of things. Um, and pretty much that I was just this massive promiscuous person. So at, at some point I was like, well, I might as well be that person. Um, and I, I ended up having a relationship and, and that was kind of a way out. Um, I drank, I, uh, smoked marijuana that was, you know, soldiers would find when they would do raids. Um, so those are all bad things. There was not one good thing, honestly, that I could tell you that I did in a positive light to, to handle what I was going through. It certainly takes a lot of courage to come forward if you're in the, you know, in, in that situation to, to do that. And what we learned is it's career ending too, isn't it? I mean, promotion wise, um, you had to feel like you, you're jeopardizing your career of sort too. Oh yeah. I mean, I know just from being asked to fill out a sworn statement over, you know, the, the other incident, um, I remember asking like, what is this going to do to me? Like that was my first thought because that's what, that is what's in your head. Um, and it's put there constantly by, by other people. Um, luckily that the JAG representative you know, said, nothing's going to happen. You can get a copy of this and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to take care of it. But I think that only happened because there were so many counts of it going on. Um, because it was, it was this individual and an officer that were causing these problems. And, and Jim, you said earlier, you said when you think, when you get into the officer position, it's different. I, I don't think that's the case. Um, I think women officers still have it so hard. We had a female officer in, in the Essex shop and she was amazing, but you could even see from her that she had gone through some things. So you feel like they had to just ignore it to get where they were at? Yeah, 100%. Because otherwise, you're done. No one's going to try to say, you might have, have been successful in, you know, ridding one person, but now that's public record. Mm-hmm. And now you're that person. And so no one's going to approach you for, or take your ideas seriously. You mentioned you talked to a JAG officer. I guess I assumed that was a woman. It was a male. So how's that work? <laughs> you know, I mean, they just, they, they had asked, you know, can you recount what happened? And, and, and I did. And that was pretty much that, but. You had to have a big distrust of men by that point. Oh yeah. It, it's taken me a very long time to, to trust the men in my life that I even have now. You know, even those that I trusted prior to mm-hmm. going overseas. You, you you came home then, and you're kind of adjusting to civilian life, and uh, you know it's it's got this this just MST doesn't go away. It's going to be with you, what for a long time. Just like PTSD, it never goes away. It's it's not a disease. It's 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 something that people are conditioned, and and you're going to be fighting it probably for a while. But you're settling back into the civilian life, and and my hunch is. You're feeling the same things. It's just not military now that you're around. You're entering the business world, and you've got your guard up all the time still, right? Mm-hmm. I do. I do. Um, it's better. I am able to 
read people more and I try really hard to trust. I have to remind myself that the civilian world is so much different. It is so much different and there are rules and regulations that are actually followed. Um, so it's taken a few years to, to even get to this point, but I've got a really great support system in and out of work now. So it's, it's better. You, you mentioned that the, uh, VA, I think you said they, they're the ones calling it MST now. Mm -hmm. Do you find that the resources at the VA are of, of much help to women in MST? Um, from what I can see once it's, um, once it's taken seriously, yes. You know, if you follow through, and I think that's the most important thing is for the longest time I wouldn't follow through with my appointments because I didn't, I just couldn't recall and recount everything that was happening. I was able to, but I, I didn't want to. It hurt. Um, but if you follow through with the appointments, you will get the proper care. Um, you can ask for a program called Trauma Recovery itself and and you can ask for a female or male you get to have so much say that I didn't realize until recently where you can finally just have it all out and 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 heal one of the things we consistently hear people that are going through PTSD is they feel pretty strongly there's nothing wrong I can work this out I don't need help I'm hearing you kind of say a little bit, did, did you feel that same way that you could work this out, you could work this out, or was there a moment that you said, I really need to talk to somebody? I 150% thought I could work it out myself. Um, if I just push it back, if I just move forward, if I just fill my life with other things, that will go away. That's not the case. Something is going to happen, and it's going to wreck you the longer you wait. And it wasn't me that sought help originally. My husband asked me. He looked at me and he said, I love you so much, but this is destroying you. And, and you need to get help, and I am here every step of the way, and, and he has been. So that's amazing. That is amazing. We all need somebody in our lives that can push us to get on that healing journey. And yeah. I know that it is a journey. It's 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 a journey that you're probably going to be on for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. in some form or fashion. Do you feel em more empowered now that you're on this journey to walk through this, and you know, kind of kind of tell us what that empowerment feels like for you? Oh yeah, since I started this healing journey, um, it's it's been it's brought me to be able to to be here today, and because this is important you know um me even just a year ago we wouldn't be talking about any of this um, or or my time in service to begin with at all and um so just being able to be on that journey and those there are little steps they are the the smallest steps but every step feels so good when you've got both feet in it because you can have one foot on on a one step and one foot on the other and and tread backwards but that's okay you know, I've learned that that's okay, and, and having an accountability partner, whether it's a friend, a family member, or for me, my husband, um, you know, he opens the he opens the VA mail to see when my appointments are, so he can make sure, hey, don't skip this one, don't skip this one. Um, when you 
finally allow yourself to accept the next journey, the next path of life, and, and you can stroll down it, it is such a powerful feeling. You feel like you can finally help other people. Stacy, um, you're in a you're in a school. You're in a, uh, surrounded by high school students. Most of them are women there, and and they're asking you what it was like to serve. Um, what do you tell them? Um, the same thing I've told my daughters. If this is what you want to do, you can do it. But be brave. Be very brave all the way and do the right thing all the time. You know, um, I think with with the military having so much higher percentage of, of females, I think things are slowly getting better. And, you know, with high school students now, um, I would just tell them, Serving your country can feel really good, but there's a lot of consequences. So think about it and and just always be brave. I mean, do you share any of your story with no. them? No. I don't think that at that time it would be appropriate. If, if someone wanted to come and, and have a one-on-one, I might share some stories. But I would remind them that my story is just my story. There are females in the military that have not gone through, you know, the the extent of, of what others have gone through. And and they're amazing. Or maybe they, they were braver than I was and they fought back. And that's even more amazing. Um, so, you know, if you want, if you want to serve your country and be a soldier, go do it but know that it's going to be harder for you than it is for the guy sitting next to you. Very well said. So you left the military and you, you started down a path with a career. Were you able to take advantage of some of the programs the military offered you? You mentioned earlier that was one of the reasons that you joined, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to school. I'm, I'm actually going back to school now using my post on 11 GI Bill. Um, started using, utilizing the VA and, um, I love those, uh, lunch specials on Veterans Day. <laughs> <laughs> I get real full that day. Yeah. Um, but. I love it. Yeah. I, I allow myself now to, to utilize everything that's been awarded to me. And I think everyone should. That's what it's there for. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, in the, um, you know. Women don't get enough recognition for what they serve, and and frankly, what we learn again tonight is, you know, besides the enemy and everything else, they've also got this internal thing that they've got to fight. Yeah, you know, we are still cavemen, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no excuses, though. No, no excuses. excuses. No, yeah. no, no, no. It's there's not no, an excuse. There's I'm no not boys will be boys. Excuse. You're right. I'll tell you that right now. No, but I, I, you know, I'm. There's something to be said for what Jim just said is that, you know, the women are not thanked for the same way that men are uh, for what they've done. And um, we couldn't do it without you guys, you know. And I appreciate that. A very integral part of what, what the mission is. And and um, it's a shame that, that uh, those experiences uh, were, in, were intertwined with your experience, you know, and and um, 
You know, I, I, I always, wish you didn't have to go through that. I did for a long time. I did think that for a long time, but I think I've been able to kind of use this experience and and instead of, you know, woe is me is how can I help the next generation? That's a great perspective. You know, so maybe I was one of the ones who had to go through that to stop it, help stop it. So, Do you uh, get the opportunity to ever meet with other women veteran and talk about your experiences? Does that, would that help you? There's, um, I, I haven't done that a whole lot yet. I've got my, my best friend actually is also a veteran. Um, and she's dealt with all similar situations. And then I've recently met one, um, we haven't really talked a lot about that. I think it's still something that we're worried to talk about. We still have that guard up. So, um, but I do hope, you know, in the in the long run, to have some sort of female veteran like group to just talk about not only what happened because we can't dwell in the past, but like how can we help make changes? How can we make sure those changes are sticking? That's a great, that's great insight. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about your journey and, and what your experiences were and you've, and you've done a great job kind of setting the table of what that looked like. Is there anything else uh, before we uh, end the show tonight that you would want our listeners to know um, specifically or in general? I would just say to any veteran who's gone through any sort of harassment, um, whether it's male or female, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. There was nothing that you did to provoke that person or persons to to treat you that way, and it's okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us tonight, Stacy. We really appreciate it. We're going to go ahead and sign off of the Dog Tag Podcast at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The Dog Tag is brought to you by the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. Do you like our podcast? With your support, we'll continue to bring you great programming. If you'd like to donate, go to sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate. This podcast is sponsored by the Renee S. Real Estate Agency, located here in O'Fallon, Missouri. She is licensed in Missouri and Illinois and focuses on your personal and commercial insurance needs. Her office is located at 2764 Highway K, O'Fallon, Missouri, 63368. She can be reached at 636-379-9556 or by email at reneesry at allstate.com, R-E-N-E-E-E-S-S-A-R-Y at allstate.com. If you are shopping for insurance and want an active agent that will educate and advise you on the coverage you need, reach out to her.